So king, the king, and Haman went to the feast with Queen Esther. On the second day, as they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have won your favor, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me. That is my petition. And the lives of my people, that is my request. For we have been sold, and I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been merely sold as slaves, men and women, I would have held my peace. But no enemy can compensate for this damage to the king. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he, and where is he, who has presumed to do this? Esther said, a foe, an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance on the king, said, Look, the very gallows that Haman has, has prepared for Mordecai, whose, whose word saved the king, stands at Haman's house 50 cubits high. And the king said, Hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the anger of the king abated. Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Azurius, both near and far, enjoining them that they should keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and also the 15th day of the same month, year by year, as the days on which the Jews gained relief from their enemies and as the months that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday that they should make the days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and presents to the poor. Say, is God's good word for us, God's beloved people? Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Amen. So, I grew up in the suburbs. There is not much to do in the suburbs, except go to the movies. And so for most of the 90s and the early 2000s, certainly the late 90s through the early 2000s, I saw like every movie that came out. And this happened to be a kind of golden era for disaster movies. Disaster movies, big deal. Whether it is Pierce Brosnan in Dante's Peak, where a volcano is going to blow up, but only the burned out geologist played by... British man Pierce Brosnan could save the people, or uh, 2012, uh, starring John Cusack, where the Mayan calendar turned out to be right, and the earth is off its axis or whatever and gets hit by, I have no idea. I mostly deleted all of 2012 from my brain, both the movie and the year, but I'm sure it was fine. But you start to like, you watch enough of these things, and you start to realize that they're kind of all the same movie. Whether it's Nicolas Cage planning to steal the Declaration of Independence, um, or whether it is Tom Hanks playing whatever Robert Langdon, Dan Brown shenanigans is called for this time, or whether it is the king of the action disaster movie, uh, my, my, my favorite, Jeff Goldblum, right? The, 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 the whole Jeff Goldblum experience is about being really good at disaster films, whether it is life finding a way in Jurassic Park or being the only man that realized the aliens are coming in Independence Day. You stare at enough of these movies, 
and you realize they are all the same movie. You could, like we did for romance movies some months back, you could do for disaster films. Part A is fill in a disaster. There's a volcano, uh, the aliens are coming, some evil monks want to unleash the power of the large, uh, whatever the plot of Angels and Demons is, I don't remember. Uh, whatever it is, there's this disaster that is coming. Then the camera will pan to one person who has a special ability or a special piece of knowledge, or for some reason is able to stop the disaster and save the people. This is Pierce Brosnan has identified that the volcano is going to explode. Now he has to run down the mountain and evacuate people. This is Jeff Goldblum got bored at work, heard the alien coordinating signal, and now must go talk to his ex-wife, awkward, at the White House to get the president to do whatever. There's a special person with special knowledge, and then they have to go and share this knowledge, share what they've got to save the people and to avert disaster. It's the same three-part formula, whether it is Independence Day, Dante's Peak, Nicolas Cage stealing the, the Declaration of Independence, Robert Langdon and Dan Brown, Disaster is coming. Special person has a way to save people in the midst of it. Maybe stop the disaster. Maybe lead an evacuation. Maybe lead to a better military response. That part's unclear. And then they have to face the obstacles, bravely overcome them to share what they've got and save however many people they can. And this is where I realized something really important about the Bible. The book of Esther is a disaster movie. The book of Esther is a disaster film. And Haman is the volcano. Haman is the alien invasion. Haman is the evil monks who want to unleash the power of the Large Hadron Collider. The other thing I realized is our entire Christian life is kind of like living in a disaster movie. Where there is disaster all around us. God has put within us something special. We call it the Holy Spirit. And we are then called upon to step up and use that spirit to save as many people as possible. I am a big fan of the book of Esther. I am such a big fan of the book of Esther that I named my second child Esther. That is not a family name. There is no one else in my family named Esther. There is no one else in Sydney's family named Esther. My grandmother's name is Judith. Also a good story. Drives a spike through Hall of Fairness's head. Really good moment in the book of Judges. Another good, strong biblical name that was an option. But I loved Esther as the story. But the story of Esther is fascinating. In part because this book was one of the last books to get included in the Old Testament. It was one of the books that found itself on the bubble between is it going to make it in scripture or is it going to not make it, right? Some of them were in for sure, right? No one ever debated if Genesis was going to be in or Exodus was going to be in or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Isaiah. But the ones that ended up on the bubble were ones like Daniel, uh, were ones like Esther, were ones like Lamentations, were ones like Song of Songs. There's a reason why you never hear it read in church. Um, it's a lot of fun. Um, but Esther 
is not unique as a story. The Bible, particularly the Old Testament, is full of these kind of stories of how to survive in a foreign and hostile world. God's people often found themselves not in the promised land and thus being beset by various enemies, whether it was the exile, whether it was Abraham's wanderings, whether it was Egypt. We have a lot of these stories. This is the story of Joseph, him of Technicolor Dreamcoat fame, right? Joseph ends up in Egypt in prison is able to interpret dreams and rises to a powerful position in Pharaoh's household. This is the story of Moses, who was going to be killed, gets set in a wicker basket, gets raised by Pharaoh. This is the story of Daniel, how he ends up in the lion's den because he stood up as a God-fearing person, suffered a punishment, God saved him from the punishment. This is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who also continued to be godly in a world that is ungodly, and an angel shows up with them and allows them to not get cooked in a 2,000-degree furnace. You hear stories of Ezekiel and Isaiah of what it is to stay godly in a world that is ungodly. This is a theme throughout much of the Old Testament. And Esther is one of these stories, except Esther is unique because God is not a character in the book of Esther. And all of these others I have mentioned, God shows up. God talks to the people. There are dreams. There are angels. There are voices in the sky. Esther has none of those. It's just a bunch of people talking. And they're not even talking explicitly about God. It's just Esther and Mordecai together figuring it out, and then Esther going and doing the thing. God's not a character. God's not really mentioned. And yet, for some reason, it made the cut. It was on the bubble, because God's not mentioned, but it made the cut. And why it made the cut is captured in the Jewish holiday of Purim. If you've never heard of Purim, you should love Purim. Purim is a great holiday. It is a holiday that, it's actually the holiday that Mordecai is writing the letters about. It's the 14th and 15th day of the month of Adar. This holiday still happens. You put on costumes so you can hide from Haman. You read the story of Esther and you yell and make noise every time Haman's name comes up. That's why we did that in the children's sermon. Uh, you drink a moderate amount and you have this big costume party dedicated to Esther. And the theology of it all, the theology of Purim, the theology behind the costumes is that God is sometimes in dreams and visions and loud voices. But more often, God is in hidden places that happen to be right in front of you. That I know some of us in this room see visions, dream dreams, hear loud voices from God, run into angels every Tuesday. But I'm willing to bet for most of us, that's not our religious experience. The religious experience is a lot more mysterious. Am I hearing from God? Am I not hearing from God? Where is God moving in my life? Is this the thing that God needs me to do? If you've ever had those kinds of questions, the book of Esther looks like your life. The book of Esther certainly looks like my life. It's listening to people it's seeking God and hoping and praying that I'm making the right move that God needs me to. That God is in hidden places that are also right in front of you. 
And that's what unfolds in Esther chapter 4. The key, the key to the entire Esther story is in the conversation between Mordecai and Esther in chapter 4. Because in, in chapter 4, you see them latch on. You see them receive the special power that's going to let them navigate this disaster film that they find themselves in, right? Chapters 1, 2, 3, set the whole thing up. Haman's gonna, Haman gets mad at Mordecai. Haman's going to kill all of God's people. Esther happens to be queen. What are we going to do now? The what are we going to do now is chapter 4. And so here now, uh, cha chapter 4, verses uh, 14 and 15. For if you keep, this is, Esther, this is, this is, excuse me, this is Mordecai talking to Esther. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise to the Jews from another quarter. But you and your father's house, your father's family, will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for such a time as this. And then in verse 15, you get the setup that Esther's going to reply. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, we'll get to that in a second. You see here, Mordecai's deep and abiding faith. That Mordecai sees that God is moving. That even if Esther doesn't step up, somebody will. Because that's how God works. This is God showing up in the book of Esther, even if God isn't mentioned. Because Mordecai trusts and believed that it's going to be all right, whether Esther acts or not. But also sees that maybe, just maybe, this is the plan that God has for Esther. So you see here, Mordecai has a special ability, a special piece of knowledge in this disaster film. He believes in God's plan. And he has discernment to see what that plan might be. Esther responds in verse 16 and reveals the special thing that she's got in her. Yep, still on the wrong page. There we go. Better. Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and neither eat nor drink for three days, or three nights, for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Certainly see Esther has a lot of guts in that moment, but it's more than guts. When faced with something she doesn't think she can do, as she's been riding back and forth with Mordecai for a couple chapters now, I don't know if I can do this, Mordecai. Mordecai says, I really think you should do this. I really think you're supposed to do this. Esther's response is to pray and fast and seek the Lord. That even if she can't clearly see the plan, or even if she doesn't think she has it in her to do it, she knows out there there is a source of that power, a source of that strength, that she can latch onto something that is more than herself to receive it and to be able to do it. Mordecai is able to discern the plan. Esther is able to connect with God and thus take the action she needs to do. And so the rest of it plays out like any good disaster film. There, Haman has the plan to kill them all. They've got the special ability from God to stand up to it. They defeat 
Haman by Esther carefully arranging this wonderful feast that leads the king um, to say, I'll give you anything you want. And that is chapter 7, verse 2. On the second, clearly the second day, as they were drinking wine, the king said to Esther, what is your petition? Queen Esther, it shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. And she pipes up in a very cute and innocent voice. I just want to live, king. Me and my people, do not kill us. I'm adorable. <laughs> or something like that. Now that took a lot of guts. Because in those days, to approach the king in the wrong way, to get on the king's calendar in an incorrect fashion, got you killed. It is a great way to keep your calendar clear. If people think getting on your calendar could get you murdered, uh, you could only believe how much more free time we would all have um, if everyone who wanted to put something in our calendar was afraid they might die. And so Esther gets on the king's calendar the right way, gets him to make this ludicrous promise, and in all of that, gets exactly what is needed. Salvation for God's people from the death plan of Haman. And oh, by the way, Haman gets killed, literally hoisted on his own petard, hung on the gallows that he had built for Mordecai and co. But it didn't start in chapter 7 when the plan came out. It didn't even start in chapter 4 when Esther and Mordecai see the plan and receive the strength from God to act on the plan. It started in like chapter negative three, when Esther saw that Mordecai was a godly person in his life, in her life, and maybe something, someone she should listen to. And when Esther went to, it wasn't church, it was synagogue on Friday, not Sunday, but when Esther did what she needed to do to connect with God and know who God was before she ever got to this situation. But the special thing that's in them is also in us, or can be if you want it to. Just like Mordecai could see that God's got a plan, God's got a plan for you too. And just as Esther sought strength and power from God in prayer and worship and fasting, you can do that too. Because it turns out, I don't know, I look at the world sometimes, and I, I don't know, there's disaster all around us. If you've ever wondered, are you living in the middle of a disaster film? The past 18 months may have shown to you, yes. Yes, you are living in a disaster movie. But we were living in a disaster movie before the coronavirus pandemic. And maybe it's not aliens or volcanoes or evil monks with a large hadron collider or whatever. Maybe it's any number of a thousand problems that exist in our world. But there is disaster all around us. Any one of us now is having some image of disaster pop up in our minds, I almost guarantee. We are constantly being told of places in our world, places in our community, places within our own families where disaster is happening. So if we live in a disaster movie as Esther does, guess what? We also have all of the same things that Esther did. We are the special people. 
that can do the thing. Now, we and like 2 billion other Christians and anyone else who wants to be, being Robert Langdon, this is not, but we have that. We have that ability to connect with God. We have that ability to see that God has a plan for us because God does have a plan for each of us. And we have the ability to connect with God and thus do something about whatever it is, the disaster that we've seen. We are not left helpless. To believe that we are left helpless is to believe that the Holy Spirit has somehow left the world. That at some point there was Pentecost, but in reverse. And friends, that's just not a thing that I believe. That the Holy Spirit's left the building, pack up shop and go home. I don't know about y'all, but that's not where I am. I look at the news sometimes and I wonder, but no. And I read my Bible and I remember, no. God has a plan. God has a plan for each of us. God has put each of us where God needs us to be and given us access to the strength that we need. The question then becomes, not can we step up, but will we step up? Will we do it? When we can see the disaster, when we know we're in the right place at the right time, will we rely on God and be able to step up and use the guts that we need to make a difference, to push God's kingdom, to avert a disaster, to save as many as we can? We can, because we've got all the same stuff that Esther has. This is not a superhero story. She just happened to be in the right place at the right time. But that could be any of us. And it's often all of us. The question is, will we do it? And will we do the work beforehand to get us ready to step up? That part of all of this Christian discipleship stuff that I stand up here and announce on a weekly basis the theology on taps and the chosen Bible studies and the walks to Emmaus and the, you know, blue smokes and the Wednesday night worships and the youth groups and the children's ministers and literally an associate pastor dedicated strictly to Christian community. You want to know one of the reasons we do all of that is so that you'll have a Mordecai in your life. So if I ask you, who is your Mordecai? Who is that godly person who you know is going to speak God's truth for you and challenge you? I want each of you to be able to know who your Mordecai is. Who is that person in your life that challenges you to do what God needs you to do? The other reason why we gather on a Sunday morning and sing and praise is so that we have the spiritual strength and resource to connect with God, know what connecting God feels like, and be able to do it not just on a Sunday morning when it got our hair did, but we do it when the chips are down and we really need that strength coursing through us to step up. It's no different than preparing for a hurricane. If you prepare for a hurricane, stick with the disaster movie theme, or a volcano, after the eruption slash hurricane has started, your house is going to be destroyed. But you put the plywood in the windows, you make sure you got the backup generator, you make sure you got the food supplies. You make sure you got the water. You do the prep work so when it's time, you're ready. The Christian version of that is building godly relationships, connecting with God. So when the moment comes, you can see the plan. You can find the strength in God to enact that plan. 
and you can step up and do brave and powerful things in the name of God. Let us pray. Gracious Lord God, we give you thanks that your strength and your power, it is there for us. Loving God, may we latch hold of it. Loving God, may we find our Mordecai. Find that person who speaks your truth in our life. May we find that strength and power in you and intentionally seek you. And when the time comes, when you need us to do something mighty, may we find that strength and power and bravery to step up like Esther, to be your answer in the world. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen.